APU. American Public University is proud to present Exploring STEM. Hello, my name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer, and today we're talking with Dr. Kristen Drexler, full-time faculty in the School of STEM. And today we're talking about how individuals can help fight climate change, tips on how to reduce your carbon footprint. And so welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much, Bjorn. It's so great to be back. Excellent. And this is actually part two. We already recorded part one of this podcast of ways in which we individually we can help. And you like to use a mnemonic device, correct, called CoWrite. And can you give us a brief overview of what we already talked about with the C-O-W-R? Yes, absolutely. I'd be delighted to. Actually, this mnemonic or acronym, CoWrite, was actually built. It was inspired by our podcast here. Instead of being depressed about climate change and the bleak outlook that we heard about last year during COP26, and instead of thinking that it, this is like a global thing that's unsolvable, we need things that we can do, that we can do locally, individually, and collectively to make a difference. And how do we do that? This is a big challenge. We know already some things to do, but I figured... Why not create an acronym to help us remember what we can do locally to influence global climate change? And so I created a mnemonic device called CoWrite, as in, let's co-write our climate future. And uh, CoWrite outlines the daily local steps that we can do to reduce our carbon footprint. And as long as we do this as individuals, as locals, and collectively, we can make an impact to a global issue. So the first part of co-write is C, choice and conscientious consumption. The C being consumption, smart consumption. And O is offset, as in carbon offset. W is water and food. R is for the seven Rs. So we can review a little bit about what those are. So the C in co-write stands for choice and consumption. So being conscientious of our consumption habits. As consumers, we have choices to consume less or in more sustainable ways. A lot of our climate impact and our carbon emission is related to the money that we spend. So how do we do that in a smarter way? So you can include things like consuming less, especially fewer or no single-use plastics, reusing containers instead of buying new, buying reusable things, not buying new clothing, for example, or buying a lot less new clothing, consuming less fuel, carpooling more, things like that, riding your bikes. I was listening to a podcast the other day, if I could interject this bit, this was really interesting. The whole idea with our co-writing, our climate future is reducing carbon impact, right? And so to do that, we may want to consider and I would highly recommend considering a climate calculator. And one I just learned about on a podcast I listened to is Cool Climate. If you Google Cool Climate Calculator, you'll get something from the Cool Climate Network out of Berkeley. And this asks you a bunch of questions. You can just type in your answers right into the interactive uh, website, and it'll give you a climate calculated sort of a comparison of individuals in your area, the same or similar economic situation, household situation. So it's really interesting to be able to compare your climate footprint 
to others so that you know what it is that you can do to have the most impact. That climate calculator was built by Chris Jones. He's the director of Cool Climate Network and uh, also the architect of this calculator. So that's the first thing is to be able to know, to sort of have the data, to be able to speak to, okay, this is my carbon footprint. This is, these are the things that I'm buying. These are the things that I'm doing that are creating the most impact. So getting a climate calculator and understanding how you compare to other people, that's the first things that you can do. And you can do that right from your home. So once you understand that, you understand what you can be doing to make an impact to reduce your footprint. That's important. That's an important part of the equation. When we're trying to reduce our carbon footprint, it's important to know what our footprint is, right? So the second part of that, the O, is carbon offset. What can we do to reduce or offset the carbon that we're emitting. And in this context, it's not just offsetting, it's sort of attaining a balance of being carbon neutral as much as possible, right? So globally, this is sort of a, a concept of compensating for our greenhouse gas emissions by funding an equivalent sort of carbon dioxide saving somewhere else on the planet. So a carbon offset project is more of an investment that you make in a project somewhere else on the planet. So that's really what that is. Offset projects could be participating in certified forestry projects for carbon sequestration, for example, like planting trees or protecting forests or supporting wind farms that don't necessarily happen or occur right where you are locally, but that's what generally carbon offsetting means. It could also be social projects investing in education and employment or reducing income inequality and alleviating poverty. And you kind of wonder like, wait a second, how does poverty or income inequality, how does that play into the, the overall factor of reducing climate change impact or even our carbon footprints? And uh, it does. It actually does. The W in co-write is water and food. So food security is probably the hottest topic on the planet right now. How is it that we are going to be providing food and water for an almost 8 billion people on the planet right now? In the past 10 years, we thought, oh, we'll get to 9 billion at 2050. Nope, it's going to happen way faster than that. So how do we deal with our consumption of food and water? How is it that we provide this for, for a growing population on the planet? Examples of how we can reduce our water consumption could include drip irrigation. Last time we talked about xeriscaping fixing leaky faucets, things of this nature, how to manage our food consumption and, and really focus on diet, looking at eating less meat and dairy, eating less beef and dairy, right? Eating organically, purchasing uh, from local farmers markets, things of that sort. These are the things that people can do to empower themselves to reduce their carbon footprint, which has a global climate benefit. Exactly. And we could go on forever. And I've had a podcast with a different faculty about food consumption. And it's, it's very complicated. It's extremely complicated and it goes much more beyond like, oh, I should just do X or Y. It goes into how you're raised and your background and your family and what you've been exposed to. And there's so much to it, but continue. Absolutely. Yeah. And the idea here, what we talked about on part one last time was that if we are able to identify and remember to do these local household activities, collectively, 
Maybe we influence other people to do the same. Maybe we influence our entire campus. And now we have tens of thousands of people doing the same thing, taking the same challenge to reduce our carbon footprint by these activities locally we do at home. Well, then we're making an impact if we do it collectively. So there is reason to hope for this. There is reason to hope. The R in co-write stands for the seven R's, actually. The seven R's. If you're looking at the University of Colorado's Environmental Center, seven steps to live zero waste. These are the seven R's. Rethink, refuse, reduce, reuse, repair, regift, recycle. Rethinking plastic straws, reducing consumption, reusing shopping bags, repairing rather than throwing away, regifting items you don't want, and then recycling as much as you can. And now we're at I, invest. Excellent. And so I'm excited to hear because I really like co-write. To me, for a lot of individuals, you know, when you go through the C-O-W-R and then you go I-I-T-E, since there's two I's. Individually, it can be very overwhelming, like, oh my gosh, there's so much I have to do. But if you just focus on it and it becomes part of your habit, like any other habit we do in our lives, it's something that we can do and have a positive, constructive outcome for not only ourselves, like in maybe changing our diet or our different habits and things like that, but also for the world and our community. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about the latter part of co-write. The first I in co-write is invest. So when we're talking about climate action, we want to put our money where our mouth is, right? So that's the invest part. Uh, how do we do this? How do we put our money where our mouth is other than by consuming less? Um, but what do we put our money into to make an impact? One way is by investing in what's called ESG funds, which are environment, social and governance uh, responsible funds. So if you have a retirement account, for example, uh, you have benefits of this sort, you can request your financial manager to invest in uh, ESG funds um, that make a positive influence for climate change. So the ideas behind this are that if you're looking at environmentally conscious uh, companies, you want to know what that company's carbon footprint is. Do they use toxic chemicals in their manufacturing process? Uh, what are their sustainability efforts? What's their supply chain, et cetera? The social impact, how does a company improve its social impact in the community? Is there a focus on LGBTQ, racial, gender equality? Does this company advocate for social justice, equity, things of that sort, right? And we understand that this is all part of the sort of multidisciplinary nature of climate change. You have to address all of these social, environmental, economic governance, all of these types of things you have to incorporate in the system. What we're looking at, climate change is a system problem, so we need system solutions. The governance part of the ESG funds is companies leadership, so driving positive change, workforce, diversity, how they respond to shareholders, things of that nature. So by investing in ESG funds and doing it collectively, so that's the second part, and doing it collectively, that's going to make the change. And I'm glad you're talking about investing because for me, I always like to tell people that I'm an ardent capitalist. And so if you're an ardent capitalist and you believe in, say, capitalism, and then you should vote with your dollars. And by voting with your dollars, you're going to invest in the things that are important to you. And by investing into things that help the environment, 
that's a good thing. And by investing in items and goods and services and ideas that help the environment, it's, it's also creating products that help people. So one can invest, even make money in things that are quote green. That's exactly right. Yeah. The second I in co-write is innovate and automate. So innovate and automate. So there are many ways. I just kind of wanted to plug this again. You, you all have heard this before, the science talks with Dr. Drexler and friends. This is where I visited last year during COVID, like the quarantine and when students had to go home and, and do homeschooling, Zoom classes. They're back in school now, but back then, not too long ago, I was invited to uh, Zoom into a fifth grade class in California. And I was really amazed at how smart these fifth graders were. So talking about innovation, that's where we're headed here. So an idea from a fifth grader when we were doing the science fair projects, he was talking about and had engineered drawings and, and um, everything for a pitch that he was making for bathroom shower water reuse into the toilet to be used to flush the toilet instead of fresh potable water to to be used in toilets. And that makes sense. If we think about like 50 years from now, these future historians will look back on us and say, well, what were you thinking? Why were you, you're wasting potable, you're in the desert, you're wasting potable water on lawn? Wait a minute, <laughs> that kind of thing. So we need new ways to innovate. We need to get common sense. We need to act locally and where we are. We need to be cognizant of where we are and how we should be acting in a sustainable way. And then uh, listening to young people in their innovations and, um, and then teaching also, teaching how we want the world to be. In fact, there's this book. I wanna tell you about this book. So let me segue into this book I just heard about. The World Becomes What We Teach, Educating a Generation of Solutionaries. The idea is to create a more sustainable, equitable and peaceful world and we have to reimagine education and prepare a generation to be solutionaries. So young people with knowledge, tools, and motivation to create a better future. That's a little bit of the excerpt of that book description. But this is exactly what I'm talking about uh, when I'm describing the fifth graders and their innovation and um, engineering solutions. So I think this is, this is really great. Excellent. I absolutely love that. And I, and I really love the reuse aspect of it and how you talked about, I live in the desert. And there's lots of green grass around here. And honestly, we don't need green grass. And I'm not saying because it's my own personal taste, but if Phoenix area wants a bunch of golf courses, great. Let's have green grass for the golf courses. And then everybody else can have Xeriscape, like we talked about before. Desert landscaping is beautiful. And you can literally plant a bunch of plants and not require any drip system. And then if you want to have like a food forest in your backyard where you're growing some of your own stuff, absolutely wonderful. But really be cognizant of where you live. Just like you said, like if you live in Michigan, there's a lot of water everywhere, which is great. If you live in Phoenix, there's not that much water. It's sort of our ability to adapt, isn't it? To be conscientious of where we are and not trying to dominate or do something that's unnatural, but, but really we have to be the flexible ones. If we want to stick around on this planet, we have to be the, the flexible ones. And in this case, since climate change is human caused, the good part about this, it's not all doom and gloom, but the good part about this is because we are actors in it, we can also be actors in, in finding solutions. So that's what this is all about. That's what co-write is about. This is about co-writing our climate future. So we have to feel empowered about this. But the second part of that is not just empowered individually and locally, but collectively. How do we get 
other people to do the same thing. So it's kind of feeling knowledgeable, empowered, and proud enough to spread the word and get other people to do what we all know we should be doing, really. Exactly. And I think when it comes to climate change for a lot of people, for old, young, everything in between, it is very easy to feel like you can't contribute because oftentimes the stakes are so high and the world's going to end. And it's one of those things where the world's not going to end, actually. Humans might end. Humans need to do whatever they can to make sure that this earth is a place for humans to live because, you know, the planet existed billions of years before humans and it'll exist billions of years after. So even from a completely selfish perspective, we need to help the environment to help ourselves. And if you view it from that perspective, then it's it's a very simple calculation. We need to help the environment to help ourselves. And today we're speaking with Dr. Kristen Drexler and we'll be right back after a short break. At American Public University, we believe that higher education can unlock higher purpose. So we offer 200 modern programs for those who want to make a difference. And we believe education must adapt to students' needs. That's why we've made it accessible through online classes and flexible with monthly program starts. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. And we're back with Dr. Christian Drexler. It's absolutely wonderful. And can you walk us through the last two letters of co-write? Absolutely, Bjorn, and thank you so much for letting me share this with your audience today. One of my hopes is that we learn and we remember and we act on co-writing our climate future. So thank you for letting me share this. So the last two elements in co-write are T and E, T for transportation and telecommuting. So that's a kind of a double one. <laughs> the idea of green public transportation. So electric buses, vehicles fueled by biofuels, community e-bikes. These are the other types of innovation, but specific to transportation. So reducing our use of private vehicles. That's actually like the big thing. That's the big thing. You'll notice when you do your carbon footprint calculator, the first thing is cars. In fact, there's um, the C's on the podcast I was listening to with Dr. Chris Jones of the Cool Climate Network, the biggest impacts are the biggest areas, the four biggest areas of emissions are cars first, coal, cows, and consumption. We've tackled several of those in co-write so far, but cars being the first one, so that's important. We have to get our transportation under control, and by that I mean our own personal choices in transportation under control. All right, another part of this transportation puzzle is not just using our cars less, opting for electric or hybrid cars, something that has really good gas mileage, or maybe you ride your bike. Another part of this is maintaining your car. To maintain your car, having proper air in your tires, ensuring your engine is running and functioning well, those are very important things in your carbon emission to reduce your carbon emission, right? If you have a rack on your car, like a hitch rack versus a roof rack, that reduces the aerodynamic drag, increases fuel efficiency, right? Just little things that you know you can make better. You know you can make better. Do it. It's time to do it now. And good driving habits too. This is important. The good driving habits avoid speeding on the highway. If you don't speed, if you use the cruise control, you're good. If you end not accelerating fast, accelerating fast blows a lot. Of, it's just uh, it's not good for a fuel economy. And then avoiding, of course, heavy traffic. Just a quick segue. I was in Bangkok 
several years ago with my sister. I was visiting her. She's working at a university. Anyway, we were in Bangkok traffic, literally stuck for like 45 minutes in the same way. It was a parking lot on the highway. Absolutely atrocious. And I love that you're talking about cars because it's the one thing that all Americans have to deal with. Most Americans, I should say. There are some places where you don't have cars, maybe New York, you know, New York City, maybe Chicago, but even Chicago, I think most people have to have a car. And it's one of those things that for me, I would love to throw the car out. I hate driving. But again, living in Arizona, there is public transportation, but it is difficult. And, you know, it's one of those realities that with the recent war in Ukraine, where uh, gas prices has shot up and people are all aghast with gas prices. And it's one of those things where we should really look at ourselves as a country and be like, you know, electric vehicles have been around since the 80s. We could have done something and transitioned a lot of our vehicles to electric by now, but we chose not to. And so to me, that's where one of the choices today is pure economics. We can transition and then we're not reliant upon gas as much, but we need to do it as a government and as, as a people, like you said, as, as individuals, people can buy Teslas and they can buy electric cars, but even then they're not as available yet. So even then, if you wanted to, it still takes some time. And unfortunately with all this, it takes time. Yeah, precisely. Our dependence on fossil fuels at this point, how is it that we are still, and it's it's growing. I mean, our population's growing. Um, it's uh, it's something that we have to address. One way we can do it is by, you know, the I guess maybe one small blessing of COVID-19 was that it sort of forced a telecommuting thing, like reduction of air emission impact from private vehicles. It was a short-term benefit. I mean, we're kind of back to where we were. but. Another side of that, the argument against telecommuting is that you're using a lot of electricity, PC power, you know, internet, that's, that stuff is not free. I mean, that stuff is not carbon neutral or, you know, you're not saving much with that because a lot of times, you know, in the place I live, coal power. So unless you're completely solar power or another type of renewable energy, then your carbon footprint is going to be, it's going to, you're going to show that on the carbon calculator. So. Right. And that's where it's tough because to me, ideally you could telecommute or work from home versus having a commute one way, 40 minutes, the other way, 40 minutes. And yes, there is more electricity. And again, that's where it takes time where people could start slowly getting solar panels, more efficient solar panels. The solar panels today are so much better than they were 20 years ago. And then just imagine what they're going to be like in 20 years from now. You know, every roof should be a solar panel. To me, that's not illogical, but again, it takes time. And we're to the last letter, I believe. The E is for energy, particularly green energy. So our dependence, again, you know, we were talking about this just a second ago on fossil fuels. The fossil fuel production is expected to continue to rise. So we're going to be reaching a new record in 2023. This has to do directly with our dependence on oil and other fossil fuels. So transitioning to more renewable forms of energy that's what's really important, not just for the environment, for social, economic, geopolitical factors as well. All of these things can be impacted by our use of green or clean energy. So that includes what? Solar, wind, geothermal types of energy. So consider, if you can, consider using solar, but other ways that you can be conscientious of your energy consumption. There's probably like a thousand ways you can reduce your footprint in this way, but some things you can do at home are turning off your lights, unplugging your appliances that you're not using. If you have an appliance plugged in just on the on your kitchen shelf or something, 
that's drawing on electricity. So unplug that thing if you're not using it, plug it and store it. Having low pressure faucets and shower heads, energy conscious sort of appliances, energy smart appliances. We talked about xeriscaping, automating your thermostats, composting your food waste. About 25% of the food we buy is wasted. So buying what you need and then composting the stuff that can be composted. That's great. So using those types of habits, developing those types of habits is really what we want to do to co-write our climate future. Excellent. It's all just habits. It's all focusing your energy on things that you can change. And there's so many things you can change, even composting. You know, we started composting, I don't know, four years ago, and it just becomes a habit. And we're able to create a lot of the nutrient-rich material that we use for our backyard just from our own vegetable waste. And you do it for a year, and then you have a good amount of really good compost material. And again, everything is doable. And this isn't something that's focusing on mainly young people or old people or like, because any grandparents out there, I'm sure, want their children and their grandchildren to inherit a world that is full of opportunity. And just like the kids today, the kids, as I say, young folk, they don't want to mature into a world that they find is bleak and is deadly. And it depends on the messaging, because there's always a variety of different messaging coming from different people with different perspectives and different motivations. But I'm always optimistic, because even though there might be some short-term pain, as there always is in human existence, as long as we all continue to work on it, there will be a long-term solution. And that's what we all have to hope for. Kristen, absolutely wonderful conversation. Any final words about CoWrite? Well, thank you, Bjorn, again, for letting me uh, share it. And thank you also for inspiring this. This was something from our talk last year about COP26 in Glasgow and the United Nations getting together to talk about what we can and should be doing, what our governments can and should be doing to mitigate climate change and to respond to climate change impact and how that's disproportionate in various areas of the world, it painted a bleak picture. And so when we talked about that late last year, about what was learned from COP26, it was sort of this depressing conversation, remember? And I came away from that thinking, gosh, um, there's got to be something we can do locally. And there are. There are things we can do locally. And as long as we do them collectively and at a large scale, so not just the local scale, but community scale, and then city scale, and then nation scale, and then planetary scale. If we can start doing these things and, or continue to be doing these actions and getting other people, that's the second part of this, right? Getting other people to do this with us, it can make a difference. And the reason we want to do it, remember, is for human survival on the planet. We care about our continued presence on this planet. So, you know, making it as easy as we can for as long as we can on the human race is really, that's what we're striving for. It's worth doing and it's doable. We have to decide to do it. Remember to co-write our climate future. Remember those elements of co-write. Get other people to do it with you and then start measuring the impact. Start with step one is uh, measuring your carbon footprint. So find a carbon footprint calculator out there, compare your footprint to other people's in your neighborhoods and in your local areas, see how you and your actions compare to other people. 
in your area and start the conversation with friends, with family, with a network, get involved in a community action organization to reduce climate change impact and reduce carbon footprint. Excellent and well said. And today we're speaking with Dr. Kristen Drexler about individual ways to fight climate change. And of course, my name is Dr. Barrow Mercer, and thank you for listening. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU, American Public University.